If you have Romans 8 open, I'm going to read verses uh, 26 to 39, and then we're going to pray and see what we can see in the Word of God. Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good, for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Father, we ask you for the ability to hold these huge, big, expansive ideas that St. Paul puts forth here in Romans 8. We pray, God, that you would give us the grace to be still, to slow our hearts down, Lord, so that we would have the opportunity to be present in this room. God, we want to receive from you, Lord. We, we want you to teach us as we meditate together upon the word of God. We pray, God, that you would give us the grace in the next few moments to see how our lives intersect with what Paul's talking about here. Father, we pray that we would see Paul today as a, as a human who has deeply struggled, who has suffered. And God, that we would see in his statement a way to find you in our own difficulty. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you had a grandmother... Um, that like put magnets with Bible verses, you probably have heard or seen that for all things work together. Uh, it's, it's a definitely like refrigerator magnet material. But here, here's what I want to say about that. Um, this text is Paul at the end of his life. Death is coming for him. He knows that the authorities are, are going to get him. Uh, his days are numbered. And so this is the, the musings of a man who has suffered in unspeakable ways and who is looking at death coming to him. And this is the musing of a man who has stared into the abyss and has become convinced in a deep way that God is who he says he is. And so I just want to say this to you. 
anything you're going to hear today for the next 25 minutes, and, and candidly, you cannot cover uh, 13 verses of St. Paul in 25 minutes. It's just not possible. But if you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear that this is not triumphalistic. This is not Pollyanna. This is not pie in the sky. Oh, isn't everything awesome? These are the words of a man who has suffered unspeakably and is convinced that God is who he says he is. These are the words of a person who, whose faith is durable because it has been tested. And I just want to say that I believe that the same durability is available to every one of us who names Jesus as our Savior. Even if we are very imperfect in the way that we confess faith and try to fall forward in living our life before God. Paul is a man who has looked over the edge into the abyss and trusts. I will also say this. Paul is two different times, and we're going to look at both of these has reflected by naming things that might separate him from God's love. And I would suggest to you that Paul's not just doing something like pedagogically. He's not just going, here are some things. I believe that Paul has uh, felt these things in his own life pull him and has become convinced that the pull of Jesus is stronger than the pull of other things. But he's naming a pull i.e. you can find your own struggle in what Paul is saying. He's being real about life, and I believe he's actually naming some things that were tempting to him around losing the plot. And so this is like where the rubber hits the road. This is real stuff. This is not just systematic theology. This is like real life. So with that in mind, number one, Paul says... The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We're going to reflect deeply about the things that induced a sense of weakness in Paul. And I think they also do the same for us. But at the very outset of this passage, Paul is saying, I feel weakness in my bones. So if you feel weak, like welcome to being human. To pretend that you're not experiencing vulnerability or weakness is to live in a place other than reality. Paul here says, when I am weak, when I do not have words, the Holy Spirit helps me. So I want to say to you that like when you get to those places in life where you're out of words, like when you just don't know what else to do, um, what Paul is saying is in his own experience, that's where the Holy Spirit actually enters in and begins to help. And so I just want to say to you today that if you're like at the end of whatever that line is, and candidly, if you're not there, you will be there. This is not negotiable. Like what, what, what Paul is saying here about all these things that would separate us and all this weakness and all that he's had to wrestle through is not a negotiable. This is the way life works. We live in a broken and fallen world. We live in a world where people get sick, where relationships end, where jobs don't work out, where our hopes become cynical, where we have all this stuff that is trying to push us back into the shadows and Paul here is saying at the very beginning, before we get into all of that, that when you are confronted with your weakness, and every real and honest person will be confronted with weakness, you and me, we are finite, fragile creatures. And when you don't know what to do, that's where God wants to come close to you and get involved. 
Now, some of us, maybe many of us, have been handed a kind of spirituality that's like, no, everything should work out fine. And then the longer you live and your life doesn't match that, we begin to wonder whether something's wrong. Paul here is saying the Holy Spirit engages us when we are weak. But here's what I know. Like the disciples when they were rowing on that boat. Remember that story? They're rowing and there's a storm and Jesus walks out on the water to them, but they don't see Jesus because they're in a crisis and crisis always induces kind of tunnel vision. When we are in difficulty, like Paul's about to name, we oftentimes, our vision, our perspective becomes increasingly limited. But it doesn't mean that God's not moving toward us. I believe that Paul is trying to get us to see something, which is that God is moving toward you. God is not aloof from us in our weakness. He moves toward us in our weakness, but we may not always perceive it. There were times in my own life in the last couple of years where I think in retrospect, God was way closer to me than I ever imagined, but I had no sense of him. Like no, no real sense of like, oh, this is so good. Like God is so close. And yet in retrospect, I can see that there were places where he was intervening. Paul has become convinced that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Furthermore, that the Holy Spirit's praying for us. Actually, in this passage, we're told that both Jesus and the Holy Spirit are praying for you. I just want you to stop and think about that for a minute. None of us in this room, none of us who belong to the Lord, can say that nobody's praying for us. The Holy Spirit and Jesus are praying for you because they know how hard it is, because they know your weakness and mine. Number two, God works through all kinds of stuff, even hard stuff. Paul actually says more than just all things work together for good. He says, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Paul wants you to know this because he knows that your experience, just like his, would tell you something else. This is where I believe we're being invited as people of faith to believe certain things that we struggle to believe. This is where faith isn't just easy. It's not just like something you casually do. Paul, the language in this passage is the language of someone who has had to wrestle with whether he believes that God can work through really hard things. And I believe he wants you and me to wrestle with the fact and then begin to believe the fact that God can work through really hard things, even things we wouldn't choose, even through things that are painful. Y'all, Paul has suffered a tremendous amount. He's about to be killed. And he's able to say, I know, we know. There's an invitation for you and me to join our brother Paul in belief that God can work through hard things. That God can even work through things that he's not initiating or doing. God's not just playing games with you. But he can use the brokenness and the fallenness of the world. He can use the pain of a marriage ending that you didn't want to end or a, or a diagnosis in your body that you didn't choose. A dear friend of mine 
came up to me that I haven't seen in 10 years. He's a pastor, lives in South Carolina, and he's got Parkinson's. He and I have been, he, he's one of those guys that would be one of my closest friends, but we don't ever get to see one another. And he was just visiting today. And he came up after the service and he said to me, that's the truth. Like, I wouldn't choose this. His body is betraying him. And he's like, but I believe this. I know this now. I don't know if it's appropriate or even safe to say this in front of uh, this church because I'm the pastor of this church. But there were moments a couple of years ago where I began to wonder, like, how far will all this falling apart go? Like, am, am I going to lose my faith? Am I going to become like those ex-pastors that no longer believe what they said that they believe? And I think actually Paul had stared into the same abyss and came through it and said, I know something that doesn't tell me happily ever after, but I know something that I can't unknow now. Paul has a theology of suffering. He, you read it in Romans, you read it in his other letters. Paul has this belief that God hears humans in their suffering. Not necessarily that God's playing games with people to make them suffer, but that God listens in suffering. That there's something about the cry of God that comes to people. This is why Psalm 107 is my favorite psalm. Because it tells the story of four people groups. Two just get into trouble because like the weather's bad. And then two get into trouble because they did stupid stuff. So it like covers the basis. Like some people get in trouble because the weather's bad. Some people get in trouble because they're dumb and they do dumb stuff. I tend to be more that type. All four groups, the text says, cried out to God in their distress and God heard them. So whether you've been bad or the weather's been bad, God wants to hear us. If you go back into the book of Exodus, there's this beautiful passage where we're told that the children of Israel were struggling under the oppression of the Egyptians. The, the language in the Hebrew text is really like evocative. It's like they were being ground to powder, kind of like a, I don't know what the mortar and pestle thing is. They were being ground down. That's the image. And the text tells us that they cried out to God and God heard them. Paul, Paul here at the end of his life had staked his whole life on the fact that when we cry out to God in pain, God hears us. Not always to give us exactly what we want, this side of eternity, but he hears us and he moves close to us. And I believe that there's something here for us. There's an invitation to believe that whatever it is that you are facing right now that is hard, can you do that with God versus apart from God. Standing where I stand now, I believe that living the hard stuff with God is the only way to endure. Thirdly, well, first I'll say this. Verses 29 and 30 get into predestination and justification. I'm not about to preach a Calvinistic or an Arminian sermon to you on free will versus predestination. Here's what I believe Paul is saying in this very specific moment. He's saying, if you belong to God, there is a way for you to move forward and to move through whatever very painful thing you're experiencing. So there's a big thing, but right now I want you to hold this. If you belong to him, there is a way forward for you. It may not be what you would choose. It may not be easy, but there is a way forward for you. That's what Paul believes. And I believe that's what he's inviting us to believe. So the third thing is this. Paul asked the question, who can separate us from the love of Christ? And there's this sense in which that's supposed to sound like a rhetorical question. We're supposed to go, no, 
nobody. <laughs> and then what Paul does is he starts listing off these potential suitors who might separate you from the love of Christ. And we're going to think about those in a minute because I actually think Paul thought about those. This is not like pie in the sky stuff. Paul is saying, well, here are the things that could have separated me from the love of Christ. And we're going to think about those. And we're going to think about those. But what's happening here is he's asking a question. And instead of the answer being no one, he lists off the potential problems. And then he says, no, we're more than conquerors. So Paul has somehow come to a place of conviction that not only can you survive trouble, but you can be the kind of person who, who holds on to your beautiful image-bearing child of Godness, even as you live through hard stuff. This is possible for us. It is possible for you to not only be forgiven, but to be justified and glorified. Here's what N.T. Wright says about justification. He says, the question of justification here is a matter of covenant membership. The underlying question is, who are the children of Abraham? Paul's answer is that membership belongs to all who believe in the gospel. Good news. If you believe in Jesus, regardless of your racial or moral background, you're justified. You're, you're, you're acquitted. You're safe. So what Paul is saying is, life is telling me I'm not safe. Jesus is saying I'm safe. And he's inviting us to wrestle with this. And I believe he's inviting us to believe it. Here's why it's so hard. The fourth thing we see here is that there are lots of things. Paul says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? He's, he then goes on to say, lots of things try. And the image here is like an image of a courtroom where you're being accused from every side. And it's overwhelming evidence against you. And so Paul here names a couple of them. He says, hardship and distress. Trouble in life. So hardship and distress, I would say that's like external pressure that results in internal anxiety. That's what Paul's saying. Hardship and distress are, are competitors. They attempt to separate us from the love of God. And all of us in one way or another have experienced hardship and distress as one of the key catalysts that move us away from hope and faith to cynicism and fatalism. Paul is saying, I've been there. And then he says, persecution and famine and the sword, Paul's going to die. And he looks at that and he's basically telling us like fear of death could separate me from the love of Christ. He was having to deal with it every day. Every day he was having to contend with the fact that they were coming for him. And they did. They got him. He died. Paul lists these things and he says to the, the writer, says to the listener, including to us, all these things I have faced. And in my facing them, he uses this word in the Greek language for I am convinced. And it means like I've wrestled with the fact that distress and external circumstances might very well cut me off from an awareness of God's love. But I've become convinced that whatever Jesus has for me is stronger than the pull of those other things. I think Paul's actually saying what Peter said in John 6. So John 6, Jesus says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And then if you're into numbers in the Bible, uh, John 6, 66. So Ooh. it says from that time onward, many left Jesus. So John 6, 66 is like the big anti-church growth text. Say something hard, everyone will leave. And then Jesus turns in John 6, 67, and he says to Peter, are you going to go too? 
And Peter says, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And some people read that in this like, oh, where else can we go? You're the best. I think Peter was like, man, we've really thought about it. This is really hard. What do you do when life doesn't work out like you think it's going to work out? What do you do when things aren't as straightforward, when the sun's not always shining, when it doesn't always feel clear? Peter says what Paul says. He says, but God's got a hold of me. And I'm just going to say, if I, if I only know one thing now, uh, it's that I don't think I can go do anything else with my, my life with faith. I, God's got a hold of me, even if, when it's hard, even when it's scary, even when there are these rivals that are working to pull us off, like distress and difficulty and not having our needs met. And for Paul, like execution, death. David Brooks, um, I've said this before, and I, he gave a lecture in 2016 at the Chicago Humanities Festival, and you can Google it. It's on YouTube. It's called A Moral Journey. Um, it was uh, David Brooks, the New York Times columnist. He's a believer um, who's gone through his own suffering and his own failure in life. And he gave this lecture. It's probably one of the best hours I've ever heard anybody say things for an hour. Uh, I used to love the old Bill Cosby com comedy, but... That's, we just, that's not, we're, we, can, we don't, we can't do that because he turned out to be a really bad guy. I think David Brooks is still in the running to listen to. And his lecture, one of the things that he says is that suffering carves out deep places in us. The things we would not choose have the potential to make us deep. And I think that's actually what Paul is saying here is that if I will participate as if God is near to me, then even pain will make me deep. It can grow me, can make me more present, more real, but we don't like suffering. We do everything we can to hide from suffering. We, we run from suffering. We spend most all of our healthcare in the last few months of life to delay the inevitable. We, we think that just changing this or changing that and running from what's hard is going to make us feel better. And the truth of the matter is like, wherever you go, there you are. I think Pogo said that, but I think it's true. We run from suffering and it follows us because we're broken and our world is not like it ought to be. And Paul here is wrestling with this fact that if we will look for God in the midst of the reality of hard, hard things, God will find us because Jesus and the Holy Spirit are praying for you right now. So important. And it's almost as if Paul doesn't believe that we're going to believe it. He, he's inviting us into reality. He's telling us about his reality. And then he doubles down. And the last movement is this. No, really. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And here he moves beyond distress and persecution, and he names these things. He says, for I'm convinced, again, I'm convinced, I've thought about it, I've looked into the abyss, and I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, so we're at eight now, nor anything else, or that's, that's nine, 
Anything else in all creation, 10, will be able to separate us from the love of God. He goes big. This is more than just I'm under stress. They might kill me. He's now saying things like, death is the greatest enemy. Even death won't get me. Paul's staring at his own death and he's saying, even that won't separate me from the love of God. And then he says life. And when he speaks about life in this verse, he's not speaking about the life of God. He's speaking about life in the midst of all of its complexity. The pain, the betrayal, the disappointment, the hurt. I think life is what makes most of us check out. Because we just don't know how to handle it. Because it's messy. And then he says, angels, be very wary of anybody who talks about angels all the time. I mean, they're awesome, but don't, don't, don't build a theology around. Don't follow those people. They're, they're weird. <laughs> I mean it. I could tell you some stories about some of those people. Rulers, don't let who the president is or who gets elected in a year and a half throw you off. Whoever's living in those big houses should not separate us from who God is. We should care about those things. Isn't it sort of comforting to know that rulers made people worry whether they could be people of faith like 2,000 years ago? Y'all, we're not the first people to freak out about this stuff. It doesn't have to separate us. Things present, things to come, worrying about the future, freaking out about and hurting about the present, those things are real but they're not as strong as what God has for us. He can hold us in the midst of reality and in the midst of our worries about the future. Power, height, depth, things we know, can't understand, things we can't wrap our head around, all creation, none of this can keep us. What Paul is saying here is I've looked into it and I believe that there's something in God that's stronger than all that other stuff, as real as it is. And there is for all of us, I believe, an invitation to be as honest as we can about where the threats are, what's tempting to cut you off, and to make some choices about what we believe as the people of God. There is a way through whatever it is you're facing. It may not be what you would choose, but there is a way through where God is near versus far apart from you. So here's what I want us to hold before we come to communion. Right now, what's working to separate you from the love of Christ? Paul asked this question of himself. He was very honest. I think he knew. I think he actually gave us a list of some stuff that had threatened him. And he'd ultimately realized that's not strong enough to keep me from the love of God. So what is it for you right now? I think doing that reflective work is actually uh, the way to be the most thoughtful about the passage. If you don't know where the threats are, then sometimes we're naive and we get plundered in ways that are just unnecessary. So where are you under threat right now? We're going to spend just a few moments in silence and then we're going to come to this communion table. Let's be still and ask a really brave question. What's working to make me feel separated from God? Think about it and then we'll pray in just a moment.